may be seated. Good morning. Our sermon text is from Psalm chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, please open with me. It's also in your uh, bulletin. It was the third scripture uh, lesson uh, this morning. Uh, The sermon title is Kiss the Sun, Kiss the Sun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, asking you uh, for your help now as your word goes forth. From my lips, may it be driven deep into the hearts of the hearers, and may your spirit be present. We can do nothing apart from you. So help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite athletes ever is a man named Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, I was a competitive swimmer in middle school and high school, and all swimmers, uh, at least at that time, were very inspired uh, by someone like him. Uh, Most year-round swimmers are highly committed, but uh, Michael Phelps was a a bit on another level. When he was still competing in the Olympics, he uh, he swam about six hours a day, six days a week. It's hard to imagine if you've uh, never been a competitive swimmer, but swimming, uh, a swim practice, is not uh, a casual event. It's not a nice little uh, swim in the pool. It is grueling. Uh, The six hours a day um, for six days a a week doesn't include his weight training sessions or stretching sessions. The man was utterly devoted. He was utterly devoted. He gave swimming everything he had. His whole life reflected uh, his discipline and devotion towards his craft, you may say. So what's the point? If a man can be this devoted... To a sport, how much more so if Jesus is King over all the universe? Should we give Him everything? Our big picture, our big idea this morning is this: that since God has made His Son King over all the earth, we must bow the knee to Him in every area of our lives. We must bow the knee. Our outline this morning is simple. The Lord laughs, verses 1 through 6. The Lord laughs, lavishes, and lectures. The Lord laughs, lavishes, and lectures. Now let's draw our attention to verses 1 through 6, where we will see just this, that the Lord laughs. He laughs at the futile plans of the peoples, and so we must submit to his anointed king. Uh, like usual, let's uh, paint a little bit of the picture here, give a little context and background. While it is true that all of the Psalms are messianic, and therefore in some sense about Jesus, some Psalms are more explicitly messianic than others. Our Psalm this morning is, is one of those, you can say. So much so that I've questioned in the past how it can apply to David at all. All the psalms apply directly to King David, or whoever wrote the original psalm, of course, but they also point and speak of Jesus Christ and are about him. Some psalms exalt him, some directly apply to him, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, as he says on the cross. Some point forward to him, and there are many other ways that the psalms are about Jesus, but one thing is for sure, they are about him. But how is this particular psalm about David? We're going to get to how it's about Jesus, of course. But how is it about David? How can that be true? Uh, Statements like, 
You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give uh, the nations your heritage. How can this be true about David? I think it all makes sense in the context of God's covenant that he made with King David. You may remember in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord promises David that he will give him rest from all of his enemies and he will make his name great in all the earth. And when he dies, the Lord promises to raise up his offspring who, quote, shall be to me a son. And the last thing the Lord says to David is, your throne shall be established forever. In Acts 2, which we read this morning, Peter states that this Jesus, the offspring of David, having ascended into the heavens, sits on David's throne. And so Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant that God made with King David. And so, yes, the psalm is about David, who was a son of God, in whom the nations should have feared. The Canaanites should have bowed the knee to God's anointed and professed that the God of Israel reigns. But our text is ultimately about Jesus, the son of God. And so we come to the opening lines of our psalm where we see this picture of kings and their counselors plotting against God and his people. A uh, more wooden translation can go like this, of verse 2, kings of the earth take their stand. In other words, kings of the earth are preparing for battle against the Lord and against his anointed one. And what do they say? They say, let's tear off their bonds, throw off their chains. You see, the nations know that the Lord and his anointed are in control. They feel their shackles. And instead of submitting to the Lord and His anointed, they rather make futile plans to try to destroy the Lord and His anointed. And so goes the foolishness of sin. Right? God made me from dust and can destroy me with a word, but I will still make plans to remove His shackles. I will still eat this forbidden fruit. I will still pretend as if He's not going to judge the world. This is the human condition, acting as if we and defeat God. What does verse 4 remind us? Verse 4, the one who sits in the heavens laughs. We see here the Lord mocks them. Why does he laugh, though? Why does he laugh? Why does he scoff at them? Because verse 6, I have established my king over Zion. And notice this isn't a nice word. This isn't good news for them. It's good news for us who are being saved. But it's a word of judgment to those who are perishing. Verse 5 tells us that this message of God's anointed king, who he has set on Mount Zion, that is a word of wrath. It's a word of terror. It's a word of terror. This reminds me of when in Revelation it describes the judgment of God in this way. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You see, unless they repent, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will unleash his wrath. And therefore, the Lord laughs. Another way we might phrase this is, is like this. 
The Lord laughs at the futile plans of the nations because Jesus has ascended into heaven, having been given all the nations and rules and reigns as king. My three-year-old, Sammy, is currently my most untamed child. He's the most untamed child. They all go through their phases where you have to re- you have to reel them back in. Uh, there's many times these days, though, where this little uh, tiny uh, boy, knowing the consequences of his o- obedience, uh, disobedience, he knows the consequences, will look me right in the eyes after I ask him for something or to do something or not to do something and say, no. He'll look me right in the eyes and say, no. And he'll laugh and he'll run away. And, you know, they have that little toddler, that slow toddler, you know, tripping over yourself type of run. And so you, you can't help but laugh. How foolish, how futile. But you see, the chasm between us and God is so much greater than the chasm between me and Sammy. So much greater. For we were created out of dust by the Lord, and yet we creatures still want to rebel and try to run away. And like these kings say things like, let's break the chains. This psalm is telling us, look, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're not going to get very far. You're not going to get very far. You kings, since I, the Lord, placed you in that position of authority and called you to the task, you must submit to me. Rebellion is not worth it. That's what the psalm is saying. And it applies to, to all sorts of situations. You church leaders, since I, the Lord, placed you in that position of authority and called you to the task, you must submit to me. Rebellion is not worth it. You fathers, mothers, business owners, teachers, caregivers, since I, the Lord, placed you in that position of authority and called you to the task, you must submit to me. Rebellion is not worth it. You employees, you students, you children, since I, the Lord, placed you in that position, you must submit to me. My friends, the Lord has given us a perfectly gracious, just, merciful King who actually walked among us and suffered. And so He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why wouldn't we want to submit to Him? If you want the Lord to laugh and mock you, rebel. Plot against Him. On a large scale, this plotting against Him looks like a tyrant who outlaws Christianity in this country. On an everyday small scale, plotting against Him looks like trying to hurt your spouse with harsh words of criticism or ignoring the needs of your kids because you have things to do or planning for the future without consideration of the word of prayer or the advice of godly brothers and sisters. Give Jesus your plans. Give Jesus your plans. Submit your plans, your goals, your ambitions to Him, bowing the knee to the ascended Christ. For having ascended into the heavens and sitting at the right hand of the Father has been given all authority in the heavens and on the earth. And so we have seen that the Lord laughs, particularly at the futile plans of the people's so we must submit to Him. But now we see that the Lord lavishes. Let's look at verses 7 through 9, and also the end of verse 12, where we see that since the Lord lavishes all blessings upon the Son, 
We must take refuge in Him. We must take refuge in Him. We see here that the Lord who laughs at the vain plots of the peoples does so because He has made a decree. He has made a decree. You see, He says of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Ascended Christ, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. This verse 7 is quoted a few times in the New Testament. Probably the most significant place is Hebrews chapter 1, which teaches us a lot about our passage. If you have your Bibles, it may be beneficial to turn there with me while I read the first few verses. The author says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And listen to this quote. For to which of the angels did God ever say, Psalm 2-7, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, 2 Samuel 7, the covenant that God made with David, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. See, the author of Hebrews is interpreting this passage of ours this morning as referring to the inauguration of the son, to his high position as king over all the universe, being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Notice, not only does the author quote Psalm 2-7, but he alludes to Psalm 2-8, where the Lord gives Jesus all the nations, for he says Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the heir of all things. For the Father says to Jesus in the psalm that he will make the nations his heritage, his possession. And so when did the Son officially receive the nations? The Lord gave him the nations gave Jesus the nations in His ascension. This is such a beautiful picture, a beautiful psalm. So clear is the Gospel here that the Son, having finished His marvelous atoning work on the cross, rising again from the dead, has also ascended into heaven, where the Lord has crowned Him with glory and honor and given Him all things, because all things were made by Him and through Him and for Him. But it doesn't end here. It tells us that He will also break the nations and dash them into pieces. See, Jesus is the King. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And the Father has lavished all things upon Him, even making Him judge of the world. And something more amazing is true about this. You, my friends, are in Jesus Having repented and believed in the gospel, God lavishes you with all the same things He lavishes Christ with. You are not called the Son, of course, but you are called sons of the living God, in whom He lavished the riches of His grace since you have been united to Christ in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.6, that God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Not only this, there's still more. Christ, your King, is heir of all things, and you are an heir of all things in him. Romans 8, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And so God laughs at the futile, futile plans of the wicked, but he lavishes grace upon grace to those who repent. And so we must bow the knee to this anointed king, Jesus Christ, the ascended one who uses the earth as his footstool. You see, it hurts, uh, it hurts to see women in relationships where they're doing everything, probably see this with young, some young uh, women today, where the guy takes it all for granted, the young woman does everything in the relationship, and they lavish him with love and willing to do anything for him while he just sits there and treats her like some random stranger. Now this, Christian, is what we are like when we don't give God our whole hearts. Give him your heart. Find your joy in Him, for God lavishes the Son with blessing upon blessing, and so it is with all who are united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. You are reigning with Christ now. How much grace has God lavished upon you? You see, all good things come from above. Why go elsewhere? Why look for refuge in anyone else? The text says, happy are those who do find their refuge in Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Do you want the pursuit of happiness to end? It's a treacherous journey, isn't it? It's a treacherous journey. But the journey only ends when we find Christ. When you can joyfully pro proclaim that my life is hidden in Christ with God. Jesus has been given the whole world, and when he returns, he will inherit what the Father has given him. See, the world belongs to Christ, and Christ will share it with you. This is so glorious and grand, it almost makes all other concerns seem utterly pointless. What are human beings looking for? What are they looking for? If you pay attention to people, to yourself, you'll realize that we are all looking for help at the end of the day to help us live this difficult life. We want a king to guide us, to tell us how we should live. We want a king to protect us and provide for us. Sometimes we look for this kingly refuge in ourselves, which eventually fails. Sometimes we look for this refuge in an earthly king. Sometimes we look for this refuge in food or substances of different kinds. But Psalm 2 tells us all your little false kings will fail. For the true king will shatter them. But the good news is that if you take refuge in the true king, not only will you not be destroyed, but he will lavish upon you with all blessing in this life and in the one to come, since at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or as David also says elsewhere in Psalm 4, you have put gladness in my heart more than when there, the wicked, 
when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So the Lord lavishes all blessing upon the Son and you in Him. So we must take refuge in the Lord's anointed King. So we've seen the Lord laugh. We've seen the Lord lavish. And now the Lord lectures. Let's draw our attention to verses 9 through 12, where we see that since rebellious nations will be shattered by the sun, we must serve the Lord in fear. So we see the Lord lectures here in the last section of our psalm, not like a, a teacher, more in the way of a judge would a young criminal to implore him to get his act together. And the same kings who were plotting against the Lord and his king are now given a warning. Be warned, the psalmist says, on behalf of the Lord. He calls them to worship the Lord instead of plotting against Him. To worship the Lord instead of plotting against Him. Very similar as Hebrews 12. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. These kings are implored to do the same. Why? Because if they don't kiss the sun... They will perish in the way. In other words, if you don't bow the knee and submit to King Jesus, you will perish in the midst of all your pursuits and activities. In the midst of all your plots and schemes and selfish ambitions, you will perish. So be warned. Kiss the sun. Bow the knee. Because as Peter says, which we read this morning, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. For this Jesus rose again. He ascended into the heavens. And as we read, he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And then God said, Psalm 110, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. You see, the Ancient of Days has declared His Son, King. Not Caesar. Not Caesar. Not Vladimir Putin. Not President Biden. Not Kim Jong-un or anyone else. None of them shall have dominion. Jesus has dominion. For He has ascended into the heavens and has been given the world, and now calls on all men everywhere to repent. See, this gospel isn't just for the poor and the weak and the lowly. Surely it is. For the gospel goes out to all in high positions of power. Never forget, Jesus owns the land that they rule. If they do not bow the knee, they must deal with his judgment. If they do, they'll find mercy. They will find mercy. The Apostles Paul's story is a right response to Psalm 2. It's a right response to Psalm 2. The Apostle Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, was doing everything in his power to destroy the church. Everything in his power to destroy Christ's people. He was plotting in vain, you see, against the Lord and his anointed. But the ascended and glorified Christ appeared to him calling upon him to serve him in fear. And Paul did. 
And how did he die? He died a blessed man who found his refuge in Christ. So we, like Paul, must give Jesus our lives. He's king, not us. Don't hold anything back from this Jesus. Doing anything else is futile. Leave nothing outside of his reach. It's an impossibility anyway since he's been given all things by the Father. You see, he already owns all your stuff. You and your family are already under his control, even if you don't recognize it. This Jesus is bringing everything into judgment. Give him your life. All of it. You may say, well, I have. I'm a Christian. And yes, this is true if you've turned to Jesus. But has your faith grown cold? question to ask ourselves. Have you prioritized other things in your life? Does corporate worship or fellowship with your brothers and sisters inconvenience you, and so you put it to the side? The text warns the pagan kings that if they don't worship the Lord with fear and trembling, they will perish. But Christian, do you worship the Lord with fear and trembling? Remember, Jesus eventually spits out of his mouth Christians who don't repent from their lukewarmness, Revelation 3, 16. So this warning is for us as well. But of course, the text is specifically calling out kings, and so this is a reminder also that this gospel that we preach, this proclamation, that Jesus, having risen from the dead, is ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. It is a reminder that this gospel is for all people, regardless of social standing, homeless, homeowner, sick, healthy, peasant, king, minimum wage worker, one percenter, regardless of who you are or where you come from, this Jesus is your king and calls upon you to bow the knee. And one day, everyone will, if they like it or not. As John said in his vision, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. We must give him our lives for he graciously gave us his and says come drink of the water that I give and you will never be thirsty again. For the water that I give will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, Christian, give the Lord your plans, your hearts. In fact, give him your whole life. Bow the knee in the church. Bow the knee in the home. Bow the knee when you go out and when you rise and on vacation. Bow the knee at work. Bow the knee in your relationships or at school or in your thought life and your everyday choices. Bow the knee, for Jesus is King, has risen and ascended into the heavens, and has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and one day every knee will bow. So let's bow today. If you do, you will find him to be a merciful King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving Jesus the nations. We thank you that our lives are hidden in Christ with you. Thank you for these marvelous truths and help us to live lives that are worthy of this marvelous gospel message every day of our lives. For you are worth it. And we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.